Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on our fourth episode of the Startup Life podcast. Uh, to remind you, this is the Startup Life podcast by uh, Nakinoku, uh, a sampling company that uh, samples uh, barbecue sauces, hot sauces, spice rubs, and other packaged foods. Today, uh, joining me is Elian Tompert. Uh, sorry, did I say that wrong? No, no you got it. You got it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Elian is from Zimt Bakery. Um, and Alina, can you tell us a few uh, things about Zimt and uh, particularly focus on, on sustainability, I think is, is uh, really important for today's conversation. Sure. Um, so Zimt is a modern German bakery. We focus on uh, German Plätzchen, mm-hmm. which are traditionally holiday cookies. Uh, and we've kind of taken this base recipe uh, from my Oma Doris that we have adapted um, and allowed to be something that uh, fits seasonal ingredients. So we kind of take this traditionally only for Christmas kind of cookie and adapt it for something that we can um, do year round with all kinds of different flavors uh, and decor. Um, So sustainability, I would say, plays a huge role in the business Um, from ingredient sourcing to packaging. We definitely want to make sure that we are a socially and environmentally conscious brand. that our product has an outsized positive impact on the environment. Um, So we basically seek to do everything we can to reduce our footprint um, through sustainable and local sourcing and um, efficient production in our shared kitchen space, as well as then the packaging being fully compostable. Um, So basically along the way, we're saving um, energy, we're saving resources, and then whatever footprint is remaining will offset. So that makes us all in all a net carbon zero business. Gotcha. I think that's a that's that's something that a lot of businesses probably have questions about. I have, so I yeah. uh, I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. But before we go on, uh, maybe just spending a couple of minutes on the on the cookie itself would be uh, of course, yeah, it's, it. it's absolutely <laughs> important. You know, we we just spoke about this. You know, it's important to have a business uh, that's uh, that has a mission and a purpose. Uh, Betsy Ziegler at 1871 often talks about this, but it's important that it's a business first. We still um, we need to make sure that we are, what we're putting out into the world um, is something that uh, adds value to people. So um, you know, just about the cookie itself, uh, maybe talk a little bit about where it's from. Like, what's the mm-hmm. recipe from? Um, you know, your background. Were you uh, born in Germany or? So I'm actually first generation American. Um, I spent about. I don't know, half my childhood in Germany, summers, Christmases. um, And um, my Oma Doris kept her recipes pretty close to her chest. So baking was something she did prior to our arrival. And then when we arrived, there would be a whole spread of, you know, different cakes like awaiting us. And if it was over the holidays, you know, all the holiday cookies, like 20 different kinds um, and always with some to take home, you know, Um, she would ship us boxes every year as well. So it was something I got to enjoy from a little bit of a distance. <laughs> and then um, when she passed, um, my dad gave me her recipe booklet. So I had the chance to reconnect with her kind of on a, a little bit of a more spiritual level to um, continue her legacy through these recipes. So it, for years, it was something I did for friends and family, kind of just for fun, you know. And then um, during the pandemic, it turned into a side gig, which now <laughs> is uh, is a full-time gig, which is great. Um, so basically, 
the base recipe is similar to a linzer cookie, um, but it's it's kind of a nut-free version, so I can adapt it uh, pretty readily with all different kinds of flavors. Mm-hmm. So it's a buttery soft sandwich cookie with a house-made jam or some kind of spread in the middle, mm-hmm. and then there's kind of a decorative element on top. So there's kind of endless iterations of cookie dough spread in the middle and decor on top that you can do different flavor combinations with. So um, right now, I think one of my all-time favorites is our current tea time cookies, which are infused with a citrus hibiscus tea blend and an earl gray lavender tea blend, two two different cookies, from uh, actually another local business that we've sourced these custom tea blends from, Merz Apothecary. So we love that kind of collab with other businesses. We get really unique flavors out of it. Um, I get to kind of explore that, you know, culinary uh, love that I have and do something unique that I think also beyond just being, you know, a a socially conscious business model, right? We have also just a really delicious cookie. Uh, Whether or not you choose to engage with the sustainability side of things or the, you know, social mission, uh, first and foremost, it's just a really delicious product uh, that's made with a lot of love. Yeah, and, and it supports the, the local creators as well. So that we'll talk about that in a second. But um, it's it's also always interesting to me that, you know, uh, you know, this world uh, kind of amplifies differences between people. But it's interesting to me that, you know, no matter who I sit down with, there's always common points of connection. So when you talked about going back to Germany for, you know, you know the holidays, right? I grew up in the Middle East, but I'm Indian. So we used to go back um, every every summer to our grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. And we would have a similar thing, like, you know, this huge spread that was made for us. And, and some of the, the foods of, our, um, of my youth, of my memory, it's, it, it evokes an emotional response every time I eat it, you know? Absolutely. Because it reminds me of, of my grandparents who also, you know, passed away. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I think that's a, that's a lesson for me and hopefully for all of us that if you look deep enough, we're a lot more similar and our experiences are a lot more similar than uh, you know than our exteriors would suggest right like yeah, yeah they, I, th- I think there's definitely something to be said there and I think part of what I love so much about food mm-hmm. particularly dessert because it's a little bit of an indulgence it's something that you do over coffee mm-hmm. or something at the end of your meal that kind of puts a bow on any occasion and the cookies that you know we make the plätzchen are very special and I think the way that it's you know packaged and presented, the way that it's made, you can feel all the love that went into it. And I think when you gift that to somebody else, they feel the love that's coming from you through that gift, right? So I feel like that's absolutely something we're trying to cultivate through this kind of, you know, more decadent product that it allows people to spread the love, as we say, right? And I think dessert, especially for me, is something that brings people together and is something that's celebratory, it's something that is special, um, and it helps, you know, I mean, birthdays, anniversaries, all those weddings, all those days are days where you set aside your differences, you come together, and you celebrate a moment together, right? Whatever your family's going through, whatever squabbles you always have, you know, you can set it aside for a day and enjoy a meal together, right? So I think, um, absolutely, I've, I've, I've yet to meet someone that I have absolutely nothing in common with. Um, I think, you know, if you're open-minded and willing to have a conversation, we're all human. There's always something, right? There's some shared experience or 
like experience that you know that we have so i i really love that about food too yeah. and definitely that that uh people exploring other types of cuisines mm-hmm. you know we we said that in a, in a video that we're going to put on our website that talks about what we do it's that exploring another culture just by buying a cookie right like it's a it's a representation of another person's culture and their history that you get to taste and you get to like travel without ever leaving your house right absolutely it's a pretty cool thing and um when you talk about sustainability what i uh, you know it, it always brings back to me because I, you know when i used to visit germany um uh my cousins are german um hi maja benji um, <laughs> but uh when when we used to visit them germans are very big on sustainability in a sense partially because of the war because th- when they were done they had nothing so a lot of them had to make do with very little um, that resonates with our you know our experience as well my grandmother grew up very poor and you know had to make do with what they had and so waste was it just a matter of like you know oh well the environment but also this is what's right to do you don't waste things you mm-hmm. try to reuse wherever you can and you know i know people who now are you know very wealthy but they you know it's a mindset that they don't want to waste not because they're misers but because that was the way that they were raised to have respect for the things that you were that you get you were given or you built um that you didn't just throw it away when you were done with it that you tried to reuse it mm-hmm. does that sort of like factor into some of the thoughts about sustainability absolutely i think personally on a personal note i mean my my uma was also someone you know who I always held, you know, up as this idol of, you know, living in a sustainable way in an in a kind of eco-conscious, not using too much small footprint kind of way. And it wasn't until I had a conversation with my dad um, as a child once about it. I actually even wrote a paper, you know, who is my uh, role model. I wrote it about my Oma and how she, you know, conserves resources and everything. And uh, my dad was kind of the one who enlightened me. He was like, well, that's partially financial, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's this mentality of like, I can use it again, so I don't have to pay for it. Again, you know, we're gonna reuse the wax paper that you wrap your sandwich with. We're gonna, um, <laughs> don't, don't you dare crumple it up, right? Um, and and I think, you know, it is kind of a cultural thing um, that can be seen in different ways, right? It, it may have its roots in like, well, we just can't afford, but the end result is still, you're using less resources and whether or not I now have the, you know, financial resources to, you know, I are privileged, I would say, to choose to be wasteful or not, right? Let's then make the conscious choice, you know, out of out of love for the planet to choose to continue that kind of lifestyle and from a, you know, waste perspective, try to use less. And I think that very much plays into the business where, you know, um, we're at a shared facility, um, partially because that's just where it's best to grow the business, but also because it is a wise use of resources. Um, And wherever we can, you know, we're trying to minimize the food miles that things travel by. So we're sourcing locally wherever we can, direct from farmers, plays into, you know, in the kitchen, composting our food waste that's generated, you know, eggshells and things like that that's generated through baking. as well as you know, having packaging that's also compostable, so that the end user is also able to kind of have a product that is not negatively impacting the environment after they've eaten it. So I think it it absolutely plays into the ethos of Tsimt, um in so many ways, and it 
you know, again, just like the recipes have their roots uh, with my umadogas, I think so does that sustainability mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that the thought process of that generation of supporting their neighbor, because, you know, it wasn't just buy a piece, you know, a, a bread from a commercial bakery. Mm-hmm. It was literally because, you know, when we went to visit my brother-in-law, who's from France, when we went to visit his hometown, the baker was down the street. Yeah. When you bought bread from him, you're supporting him and his family and their lifestyle, right? So I think we've come into this world of consumerism where everything is travels so many miles, is made in, you know, subsistence living type factories. Um, it just, it's not, it, it doesn't make me feel like I am adding to the world. Mm-hmm. You're just a consumer. And I love the concept. I, I love what's happening now with people becoming more makers, more conscious of what they're doing. You know, you don't just want to buy whatever comes from from a big factory, but you want to support local creators, local bakers, local you know artisans, so that you, you know that uh, what's that what's that saying? Uh, rising tide floats all boats, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a I think sustainability is only framed today in just as a conversation of the environment, but it's a system, mm-hmm. and I think. If we invest into that system, it makes everyone's lives better, not just in terms of reduction of carbon, which is absolutely right. important, but also in terms of an immediate impact on your community, mm-hmm. on your on your, on your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think with, with Timt, I really try to think critically about sustainability and not just to, you know, greenwash something or do what everybody else is doing, rather to really take a critical look at what my impact is personally, what the business's impact is, um, and, you know, a little bit of what the customer wants, but ultimately I'm just trying to do the best I can to build a responsible um, and environmentally conscious brand in a way that looks at sustainability holistically. So as you're saying, right, like if I can source flour that was grown, you know, on an organic farm in Illinois or Wisconsin versus you know, something that was grown, I don't know where, with mixed grains from wherever that's, you know, non-organic and, you know, a third of the price. Um, What's the impact, right? And I think, so for Tim, through and through, the choice is local first, and then where things cannot be produced locally because of, you know, the nature of the plant or whatever it might be, that you then go into organic and fair trade. Mm -hmm. So, with ingredient sourcing, you know, flour, butter, eggs can all come from local farms, pasture-raised animals, humanely treated animals, um, very high quality, you know, butter, European style. So it's like slow churned in a barrel uh, with like that old, old school way of doing it. Um, not only is it a higher quality ingredient, but it's something that's supporting a local or regional farmer. Um, who is also right next to me selling at the same farmer's market. So there's this connection to where our ingredients come from that is not only, I think, the responsible choice, but it's the choice that's also much more personal. And I have a direct connection to the person, you know, making this this delicious ingredient that then allows me to make, in turn, a delicious cookie. Um, and, you know, where where we go into ingredients like cacao and spices and vanilla that I can't get locally, can't grow that in a greenhouse, right? So then we go into fair trade. And that's really important to me, those ingredients that I still want to use um, to make sure that 
I'm not having a negative ethical, you know, impact somewhere else in another country where I don't have a personal connection to the grower or the farmer, but I still want to make sure that I'm supporting them with a living wage, I'm giving them a fair price, and I'm getting a high quality product. So, you know, in that sense, we have a very unusual ingredient panel, you know, that, that, that tells you what's organic, what's fair trade, what is pasture raised, and what's regional to the Midwest to give the customer that cares to kind of look at the, the details on the back of the box. You know, the information is there for those who want it. And for those who are just interested in the cookie, by all means, go for it. You know, you can still enjoy the delicious cookie, whether or not you engage with it. But, you know, if you care to look at it, there's a lot of thought that goes into that, right? There's so much thought that goes into the flavors that we are offering and um, where the ingredients in said cookies are coming from. And I think that's very important is that we're all a work in progress. We acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. And there are consumers who want to shop better and do better. Um, give them the tools to be able to do it. So I appreciate what you're doing in that, like you're, you're providing those tools for people if they wanted to look into it, to learn more about it. And uh, it's funny, you know, technology can be our friends sometimes, I guess. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff happening in blockchain right now to be able to trace the, the, the uh, source of ingredients, which I hope someday that vision will come to pass where, you know, you pick up a box at the grocery store and you're able to scan a code and find out where all the ingredients came from, because that'll help us to be better consumers. Um, uh, you know, we're, we can be, you know, we can create what we can, but where we can't, we need to be able to know what the source of those things are. So we're not contributing to what you said, you know, mm-hmm. potentially slavery like conditions in another, in another country. Um, so moving on to just the, the concept of uh, carbon neutral, because I know so if I have a question, then probably other people have the same mm-hmm. question, which is like, how do you determine you're a carbon neutral con- uh, company and how can somebody go about trying to do the same in terms sure. of you know packaging and, and sourcing and all of that. Yeah, so I would say you know a lot of it comes down to like those in the weeds Google searches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not like a you know environmental PhD student. Uh, so I would say you could probably go with a finer tooth comb, but basically we're trying to um, use online calculators that already exist Mm -hmm. to input some data into what ingredients we're using and what quantities, uh, how much energy we're using, you know, as a member of the shared kitchen, um, how many miles we're traveling to and from work, you know, or to sell the product. Um, And all of that kind of culminates in a carbon footprint for Tsim Bakery Mm -hmm. um, at full production. And then we kind of you know, reverse calculate that down to like, okay, well, then what is contained in one cookie, mm-hmm. right, in a conservative, you know, higher end estimate. And that is also part of our labeling uh, inside the cookie box that you get. So <clears throat> you can see what the impact of each cookie is, um, how much of that is uh, procurement, production, um, you know, and then down to like end of life mm-hmm. and packaging. Um, so essentially, you know, it may not be 100% accurate. There's always room for improvement, as you said. But I think what we're trying to do is make sure that we're putting in 100% effort into being the best that we can be today and looking for ways to improve tomorrow. So, you know, ultimately, the we used a, a tool called the Cool Climate Calculator. And you can use that for a personal carbon footprint as well as a business carbon footprint. So I encourage anybody who's interested uh, either personally or professionally, you know, you can go through and do this uh, for businesses, I think in in pretty much any industry, um, just to take a first stab at it. And then it gives you some suggestions, you know, what are the top things that you can do to reduce said footprint? 
So, you know, whether that's getting an electric vehicle or putting solar panels on your roof or flying less, you know, whatever the um, the number one thing might be, um, you can at least then move forward and be aware of of those things and how you can improve. Uh, as, as well as kind of give you a, a standing, like where do you stand next to a similar business or to your other average American, you know, uh, or fellow countrymen. Um, so I think that is always a good starting point. So then, you know, we can then make decisions down the line how to reduce our footprint further. But in the meantime, we're doing, you know, everything we can to um, minimize it and then offset the remainder. So that's kind of how we look at carbon neutrality is very first and foremost to reduce the resources that we're using um, before we then offset. Because I think carbon offsets can be kind of this greenwashing tool. Right. We want to make sure that we're really doing it honestly uh, and transparently. Yeah, and, and it's not just, that's very important. It's not just about offsetting only because I've seen uh, organizations that do that. They say net neutral, but really mm -hmm. they're not reducing their footprint. They're just sort of like buying a bunch of credits. Um, and when we say buying credits, you can actually uh, uh, basically pay for uh, planting a tree and that kind of, uh, that, that reduces the carbon. And so that's supposed to offset whatever that you create. But step one. It's reduced, right? right? And I think you also have to think critically about what offsets you're buying because there's a lot of like, you know, double dipping that happens there mm -hmm. to make sure that if you are offsetting, you're doing so through a green E certified uh, carbon offset program. Mm -hmm. um, it And it's not just tree planting. You can also look into renewable, you know, project investments mm -hmm. is another one or, you know, helping rural communities um, reduce their own footprint through cleaner cooking methods or whatever it might be, right? So um, I'm surprised also at the breadth of these projects. And it's it's so much more than I first thought, you know, because I think planting trees is the first thing you think of. But in reality, it takes about 50 years for a tree to get to the point where it's really absorbed a significant amount of carbon. And if it then gets cut down to replant another tree, it's kind of, you know, how much impact are we really having in a positive way? I think that's maybe more negative. So um with everything, you know, it's like we can always improve, we can always be better, but let's just think critically about it, right? And um, what is really the best in a, in a holistic sense, um, whether it's a plant-based butter that has palm oil, like is that really better than, you know, mm -hmm. um, dairy butter that comes from a farm that's like under 500 miles away, mm -hmm. you know, that's like basically next door with a cow that was raised on a pasture that's then, you know, um, fertilizing the field, et cetera, right? So there's like, there's kind of different ways of looking at it. And I think as with anything, we just try to look at it holistically. Yeah, makes sense. And I know we're uh, pretty much out of time, uh, but I appreciate the conversation. It's been awesome. Uh, you know, one thing I would say though, everything that we spoke about leads us to more conscious consumerism, which is I think for a long time, we as a country have been got, gotten so used to paying very low costs. I mean, if you think about how much our parents' generation or grandparents' generation paid for like an article of furniture, right, with, with a table or chairs, um, if they didn't make it themselves, if they went and bought it, it was significantly higher proportion of their wages mm -hmm. than we pay today. Similarly for food, I think in terms of like the, the cost of food that has reduced significantly, whether it's restaurants or others, is being driven by, you know, like very, very large uh, uh, carbon impacts from mm -hmm. like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, factory farming of chickens and 
all kinds of you know really bad practices that we don't want to have. So when you talk about conscious consumerism, I, you know, I, I tell my kids like when I used to go visit my grandparents, if you wanted eggs, there were hens outside. Mm -hmm. You have to feed them. You have to take care of. Them. You have to go pick the eggs. So you didn't have eggs all the time. Similarly, if there was any any type of meat, you didn't have that all the time. You often had vegetables. So part of that better choice is also understanding that we can't have everything we want mm -hmm. the moment we want it. You can't have a mango in the winter, right? Right. It's, and yeah. unfortunately, I guess you still can, right? And that's like part of the problem. Um, so I think that's um, that's why we're trying to do this hyper-seasonal menu, you know, where we're really offering things that um, are using ingredients that we're buying from farmers, you know, at the next tent over at the farmer's market. Um, because it is important to me to get back to this place where we know what's in season when, when it tastes the best, right? And it's also, it's produced locally. So, you know, the strawberries aren't flying in from Peru. Right. Uh, they're grown in Michigan, right? So, um, yeah, I think that that has a huge impact. And I think there's a uh, a big movement towards, you know, supporting local and that kind of the the um, flip side of that, I guess, is you're also then forced to enjoy things seasonally. Um, so, you know, no, we don't have that cookie year round, but next spring, you know, you can maybe get it again. So um, I think it's it's important. And I think it's um, it's something that I think a lot of consumers care about, um, which I'm, I'm happy to see. Right. And um, I definitely have started paying a lot more attention to that as well, I would say, like, you know, developing a seasonal menu really pushes you like, oh, I better get that rhubarb in now because, you know, it's really only around for four weeks, you right. know, here. And then, you know, beyond that, I don't know where it's coming from. Right. Uh, may or may not be disclosed at the grocery store. So uh, but I think, you know, the food industry is moving to a more transparent place. Um, and I'm really happy to see that, you know, becoming a trend. And I hope for those who are parents who are listening, uh, you know, teach your kids about that. Because I, I think there's a, a feeling of like, well, I want uh, mangoes all year round or, or whatever it might be, right? You, you kind of treat it and teach them about seasonality and about not having it all the time. And that makes it more special. It's a good thing, Absolutely. right? It makes that cookie more special. It makes that, you know, that fruit more special. So I hope we, uh, you know, you know as, a, as a CTA or whatever, right, think a little bit um, more about our choices mm -hmm. as consumers and hopefully we make better choices um, and definitely support Alina uh, and, and uh, go check out zimps.com I'll put all the links in the in the description as well as the uh, the climate calculator if that's all right we'll, Absolutely. we'll put that link in the description as well uh, thank you Alina for joining us today it was a really awesome conversation I feel like I end every conversation with this but genuinely like I, I enjoy the conversation I hope we can have you back on at some point and talk about more interesting you know more interesting topics as well so sure. I appreciate it. thank you so right. much i appreciate it no worries thank you All thank right. you everyone Bye. for joining us Bye.